Thank you. Morning. Hey, you know what? This past week has been, we got some echo. All right, there we go. Thank you, Benjamin. This past week has been full of global tragedy. I don't know if everybody's been watching the news, but let's all pray for God's creation, that God's mercy and grace and love would shower it, and that peace would prevail. And if you're new, welcome. We're very, very excited and stoked that to worship together our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we only ask that you fill out one of those connection cards so we can keep you up to date and connected on all the things that are happening here. And you can put it in the connection box or you can put it on the, on the door in the office. And with that, let's go to the Lord as His people of prayer. prayer. Heavenly Father, we love You. You are victorious, faithful, eternal, and full of mercy and grace. Thank you for revealing your love to your creation. Thank you for your ongoing work of redemption. Thank you for making us on purpose and for purpose. Forgive us when we fail to respond to your call to engage in our faith and help us to forgive those that don't live up to their commitments. Please tend to those in and around our community who are suffering emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually, and help us to be witnesses to you during times of both victory and defeat. We ask you to intervene in the conflict in the Middle East and to bring peace and love in the area that's devastated with brokenness, fear, hate, and violence. We bring your prayer, we bring our prayers and petitions to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you please stand as we go before the Lord in song? <clears throat> And sing, as we sing, we enter into his presence, and we do so just because of his love. Because of your love, 
mindset and reminder of who Jesus is. You know that Christ is not Jesus' last name. That actually means Messiah. Jesus Messiah, the coming one, God's anointed, the one to be sent from heaven for the redemption of all humanity. He became sin who knew no sin that we may have victory in him and know eternal life. Let's praise God. Jesus, my 
as we go before the Lord with his word. <clears throat> Psalm 18, 1, 25 through 30. I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. With a loyal, you show yourself loyal. With a blameless, you show yourself blameless. With a pure, you show yourself pure. For you deliver a humble people, but to the haughty eyes you bring down. It is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. By you, I can crush a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The promise of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please continue to stand as we go before the Lord. And there are truly too many reasons to count the Lord blessing us. If we're alive and, and we had a roof over our heads yesterday, we're blessed. If we're alive and we're breathing oxygen today, we're blessed. And that is our anthem, to go ahead and sing praises to the Lord, whether we're in defeat or whether we're in victory. God deserves all glory. Too many to count 
say that I love you to worship you now your love is perfect and your heart is kind I'm yours forever
Thanks be to God. You may be seated. pray for our tithes and our offerings, and before we do, um, just wanted to yeah, let, let the congregation know, uh, we had a board meeting on Tuesday, and just want to emphasize a couple things. Uh, we were looking at um, you know, our, our reporting from uh, uh, the Treasury Report and talking about janitorial service for the church, which is definitely a need for us. Um, and you know the finances of the church are um, uh, there's a struggle there a little bit, and um, we wanted to let you all know that and to pray that God would work on our hearts and our minds for uh, the giving of our church so we can um, continue to to operate um, and and keep keep the church going. So uh, pray about that. Let God work that on your hearts with that, and uh, with that we'll uh, we'll go into prayer unless you wanted to. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, as we think about our tithes and our offerings, whether we're giving that online, whether we're giving that in person today, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be with us to faithfully give and that you would use it, Lord, uh, here for your church, but also as we, as we minister, uh, as we minister to our, our congregation here and ourselves and as we minister to needs around the world and around the community. Uh, Lord, this is your church, and this building is yours, and we want to serve you faithfully and diligently and with joy, Lord. So I pray that you give us a joyous heart to, to give and to support our church, and we just pray over our tithes and our offerings. In Jesus' name, amen. Head and get together, stand up, stretch your legs, and go say hi to someone you haven't talked to yet today.
Good morning again, everybody. I have some uh, few announcements for you to uh, to make sure to put, plug into your calendars and think about. So, the first is going to be um, praying. Uh, really, really, obviously, really important one. But we're praying daily, encouraging you to pray daily through Matthew nine thirty eight. And why? That is because of our district superintendent's uh, transition. Um, we will be getting a new district superintendent. Um, and so pray about that. And so really encourage you all to, again, pray through Matthew 9.38 uh, as the church of the Nazarene goes through that transition for our district superintendent. Um, and then just a reminder for prayer meeting, uh, that is adjusted from um, starting November the 2nd. It's going to be on Thursday at 9 from Tuesday at 9. So keep that in mind. Keep that change in mind. And then the Harvest Festival that's coming up. Uh, I know my kids are getting excited for it. Um, and encourage you to, uh, yeah, encourage people to dress up. Uh, it's going to be from 12 to 2 after the service. Uh, there's flyer back there. We're going to have food, candy, all kinds of good stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and then we have another change as well for our grow group. That is going to be um, moving from the second to the 7th of November. So it's going to move to the following Tuesday on November the 7th. Uh, 
Um, and then the last thing I have here is uh, just continue to pray about the treasure position uh, for the church and the transition and the person that we need to, uh, to lead in the treasury department. So that's it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I want to piggyback a little bit this morning on Jordan's so kind. Um, he really is. Uh, I want to talk about finances real quick. Um, giving and, and tithing. It, it's, it's not a commandment in the New Testament. Uh, the, the 10% that we get, that number comes from the Old Testament. In the New Testament, um, what the early church did, they gave 100%. So if anybody wants to talk about those percentages, let's go ahead and, and have a conversation about that. That said, <clears throat> um, 100 years ago, you didn't, the pastor didn't talk about giving because everybody invested into the local church. The tithing and giving is a spiritual condition. This isn't a, an obedience issue. This is a spiritual condition. This is trusting God with everything you have. I have a friend of mine that always says that if you want to know the life of a Christian and what's important to them, look at their checkbooks. And so that's something to consider. The, for those that are giving and volunteering here at Fresno First, thanks. Like, we can't survive without that. For those that aren't giving or volunteering, and you've been going to this church for over a year, prayerfully consider where you are, because it's time to invest. If we're going to move forward and we need to move forward together, things need to change. We're not in a place that's sustainable for very long. And this is something we need to talk have honest conversations about. I'm going to be sharing with you exactly where we're at. And we need to have conversations with each other. We need to encourage each other in that. Because there's two things. One, tithing is a spiritual condition personally. And then as the body collectively, as um, persons come into the body and all share together, it's also an indication of where Fresno First Church, the Nazarene, stands spiritually. And I think that we can do better. I really do. I believe that God has exciting days ahead, and it's going to take all of us to invest fully into the mission God has for our local church. That makes sense. Hopefully it didn't sound really guilt-ridden because I hate having these conversations. I truly do. It's super uncomfortable for me. Um, and I would like to say that you can ask Katie that Shelly and I are invested regularly. And so it's not like I'm trying to talk out both sides of my face. If you have your Bibles or your apps, you can please open them to 2 Samuel 22, page, on your pew Bible, it's on page 232 and 233. See, when I was growing up, victory and defeat was defined every single week on a Sunday night from the wide world of sports. And if you're my age or older, you understand what that means. The, um, this iconic failure of, of the agony of feet is just, it's iconic, and it, it, it's, it formed itself into American culture. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it has to do with the, the agony of defeat with the uh, ski jump incident. Justin, could you roll the uh, commercial? Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport, the thrill of victory, and the agony of defeat. 
human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. Brought to you by... <laughs> it's brought to you by Sinex, by the way. <laughs> Vinko Bogatage uh, was 22 years old in that ski accident. He suffered a concussion. He suffered a broken ankle. He, that ski, um, ski ha- accident happened in March. In June, he was back to training. It was horrific, and that was in the 1970 World Flying Ski Championship. you got to remember, Wild Wilder Sports was before ESPN. And, and it just seemed as soon as that accident happened, ABC jumped on it, and that became symbolic for defeat. This is what America sees as defeat about. And unbeknown to, to the skier, his fall and, and his wreck became symbolic in our culture. And in New York in 1981 was the 20th anniversary of the wide world of sports. And, and uh, Bogotage was invited to come to New York courtesy of ABC and he was standing there with all the famous athletes of the day. And when his turn came to be announced, he got the highest standing ovation. He didn't realize how famous he was and how his defeat was seen and talked about the world around. And it was in that moment when, when Bogotaj uh, saw that everybody was, was looking at him and, and clapping because they only knew of him because of his defeat. He realized something. He realized that his defeat had inspired others, and he chose from that moment on not to let that defeat define him for the rest of his life. He's still alive to this day, and he lives in Sylvania with his wife, Liliana. He's a, he is now an award-winning artist. A, um, his paintings have been, have been shown in all over Europe and all over the United States because he did not let the agony of defeat define him. He saw defeat as an opportunity for greater victories and a greater hope for a brighter future. And he just didn't sit there and wallow in that place that he found. You know, the same thing can be said with our defeats. Our defeats are not, to, they're not the end of our story. They're not the end of a chapter. Rather, they're the beginning of a greater narrative of hope to a larger story in which God overcomes our defeats. God goes ahead and resets our identity instead of being in defeat to be in Him, and to Him belongs the victory. And the victory in Christ is beyond anything we can ask or even imagine. So if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 7, 17 through 20, and 47 through 51. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of perdition assailed me and the cords of shale entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cries came to his ears. 
He reached from the high. He took me. He drew me out of the mighty waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they are too mighty for me. They came upon me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me. He brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above my adversaries. You delivered me from the violent. For this I will extol you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. He is a tower of salvation for his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. This has been the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, sometimes life can seem like a series of defeats. And uh, over the series, we've been focusing on intimacy with God. That's what the series is called. And looking at the life of King David, who's a man after God's own heart. And the purpose that we're doing this is to focus and recognize that life without God is like a a tree branch. It's not connected to the tree. It's slowly going to wither and it's going to rot away. And when we're not connected with God in an intimate way, we begin to wither, we begin to dry up, and we begin to spiritually rot. And so, like David, we have a desire, right? We don't want that to happen, so we have a desire to go ahead and invest into a spiritual life that reveals that we are a Fresno First family after God's own heart, seeking oneness with God that comes in this full surrender to Christ. Regardless of where we are, regardless of the future holds, we choose to surrender our lives, what it was, what it is, and what it will be. To Jesus, who died for us. And only through him and his blood are we allowed to be saved. And so with that, I would think that there's great hope for us and having a desire since he created us, he designed us to be in intimacy with him and let him be Lord of our lives, that his will become our will, that we would draw to, cling to, and abide in Christ for very life breath itself. And this isn't some... um, theoretical suggestion like, hey, y'all, let's go ahead and climb to the top of Mount Everest. You know, chances are we're not going to make it. (laughs) We aren't going to go ahead and climb to the top of Mount Everest as much as we want. We're not going to scale that. But intimacy with God, the lifeblood of our faith, is available to each and every one of us, which far exceeds the ascent to Mount Everest. In fact, God is inviting each one of us today to have a relationship with Him in which we were created. And that means that if you know Christ, you can go deeper. If you don't know Christ, you can begin that relationship today. And so i got questions for you. Are you tired and wishing that life was more than more to your walk with Christ or more to your spiritual life, that, that you're feeling like you're just not there yet, like something's holding you back? Does it feel like the emptiness inside you is nagging to be filled and, and that emptiness almost feels like it's a bucket full of holes that the more you pour into it, the more it leaches out? See, when we're in this kind of space, it just gets harder and harder to make it through the day. We become more exhausted and more exhausted and we say to ourselves, well, this emptiness isn't going away, so this must be part of my spiritual life. This is just another aspect in, in this journey of grace that I'm with God and I'm here to tell you that's a lie. 
It's not. That emptiness, you don't have to live with it. You weren't created for it. That's why Jesus came, that you may be whole, clothed with him, and surrendered to find true victory. You know, we've been looking at King David and his life and unpacking this rawness of relationship we have with him. See, one of life's greatest lessons about King David is that he shows us it's possible to live out a life that God that loves God, loves others, and that desires to live a life connected in oneness with God through the power of the Holy Spirit by faith, all the while stumbling and falling short along the way. God's grace allows us to stumble. God's grace allows us to fall. God's grace allows us to make mistakes so we can get back up and keep moving and not be defined by the agony of our defeats. See, being a man after God's own heart did not mean David was perfect. He made mistakes. He made, decision, or he made poor decisions. He knew failure. The man knew defeat. And he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But King David lives out his faith in God. And he lives out his faith with God. There's a difference between faith in God and faith with God. One is a partnership and a growth and an intimacy. And one is a little, well, a lot more stagnant. And despite his shortcomings, David reveals that this life that is submitted to God's grace is not a life that is submitted to our own efforts. A life submitted to God's grace is a life that takes whatever the day may hold, good, bad, or ugly, it can give God the praise because we know it's not the end, that God is the end. And we can be honest. We all have those hard days. We have those hard weeks. We have those hard seasons in life where it seems like it's a series of defeats and we just feel just completely beat up and it leaves us bloody and we feel as though our very identity has been robbed because we just don't have fight anymore. And that's where God's grace begins to step in. And we're going to be talking about that more this morning. As we look into the life of David in 2 Samuel 22, this is a song of David to God. This song is also found, as we read earlier in Psalm 118, with very little changes. And this comes, and this was written according to the, the interlude into Psalm 18 and also the context of 2 Samuel 22. This is when God delivered David from King Saul and all these enemies that David had. And David had quite a long list of enemies, up to including and not limited to, Okay? Lions and bears that attacked the flock when he was watching his father's sheep. Goliath, every single Philistine wanted to kill King David. The King Saul, Michal, his wife, King Saul's daughter, hated him. Uh, Absalom, King David's son, we know from a couple Sundays ago, overthrew him as king. Various people in David's royal court, Sheba of Bichri, all the nations surrounding Israel wanted King David dead. And at times, King David was his own worst enemy. Yeah. One of the things I found to be true in the Christian life in this conflict is just because you're a follower of Jesus and just because you love God doesn't mean that you don't have enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies. And we can recognize that there are some people that are not for us. They want our demise. 
And how we respond to that either reflects our own efforts and trying to right what we think is our personal wrongs or trying to go ahead and submit to God's grace and let him go ahead and take care of that for us. See, David did not feed every foe every time and he suffered in battle. He suffered in his life. He knew agony. David knew defeat. And he understood betrayal and disappointment and failure. He understood rejection. He understood getting stabbed in the back. And he understands getting falling on his face. And even with all of that, he still writes out praises to God as he considers how far God has taken him. And when I was thinking about this, it made me pause and reflect about my own personal journey with God. And I encourage everybody to do the same. How far has God taken you? Where have God taken you from? What trajectory are you on? Are you in a place that you want to be with God? And if not, what's the one thing you're going to do today to change that trajectory? See, David was clear in his identity belonged to God and God alone. And in verse 1 through 4, we see that he describes God as his rock, as his fortress, deliverer, refuge, and salvation. salvation. David knew that life was full of uncertainties. He lived through it. And it seemed that even when he... He could praise God when he had no place to turn. He felt trapped. He could praise God when, when the security of fortresses and refuges seemed more like a self-imposed prison. He could praise God because God was a deliverer and David knew what it meant and what it, what it meant to be delivered because he needed delivering. Have you ever been in a situation where you just needed to be delivered out of that situation? God delivers. Don't forget that. And through it all, David reinforces that God is his Savior. Not David, but God. And David understood the realities of life, that there are enemies in the world, and enemies can come from the outside, but sometimes we are our own worst enemy as well. When faced with defeat and failure and enemies, we need to remember there's a very strong temptation for us to double down on our efforts, set our faith in God aside, put our feet to the fire, our nose to the grindstone, and try to figure out a way to fight our way out of whatever situation we're in because we don't want to submit to the agony of defeat. We want to take for ourselves the thrill of victory. And far too often we don't heed the lesson of King David and we go at it alone. And one of the reasons is that we're taught to find our identity in our achievements. The reality of striving for personal victory is impacted in two ways. One is the sin that destroys and corrupts and and breeds fear into us and into the world. And the other is God's grace that help us live out to God's purposes for our lives. See, the concern that we live into the achievement based on our work-oriented culture and society it subtly influences our faith. And it's something to be mindful of. It's one of the reasons we go to church regularly. It resets us on a regular cycle. Every seven days, we come together as the body of Christ. We reorient our hearts towards God. We are sent through the power of the Spirit into the mission field to share God's love and grace and salvation with everyone we meet. And then after we've poured ourselves out to come back through the power of the Spirit to be filled up again so we can be sent. 
You see, it's a tempting when we're so influenced by culture on this work-oriented faith and, and it's, it's a temptation for us to earn the right of salvation. I've done it. I've earned my salvation. And it's a tempting for us to, or there's temptation for us to go at life without God, meaning we lean into our own efforts instead of God's grace. And instead of the faith that allows us to have this freedom, we find ourselves unknowingly in a heresy called Pelagianism. So Pelagianism is a belief that in the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, it didn't affect, sin didn't affect all of creation. It didn't go ahead and affect the image and likeness of God and humanity that people innately, without God's influence, without God's grace, without God's love, will choose good versus evil for themselves. And the reason that this is a heresy is, is quite simply because humanity innately, all of us, when pushed, when pushed comes a shove, without God's grace, without God's help, will choose self-preservation over right or good choices without being taught or without being exampled. Okay, so case in point. <clears throat> Have anybody here ever been a two-year-old? Okay, or you know a two-year-old. Let's just say you go to the two-year-old, hey, two-year-old, you can't have a cookie before dinner because it'll ruin your appetite and you have to eat all your dinner. So the two-year-old goes to the cookie jar, puts a cookie in the two-year-old's mouth and is eating. You go over and you say, hey, I told you, you can't have any cookies. Are you eating a cookie? No. You don't teach a two-year-old to lie. You don't example a two-year-old to lie. And you don't encourage a two-year-old to lie. But a two-year-old will lie without realizing or intentionally, and, and without realizing it and not trying to intentionally deceive. It's because the two-year-old is innately choosing self-preservation. The effect of the fall affects all humanity, and we desperately need God's grace and God's salvation to transform our hearts to overcome the effects of the fall. Yet, our difficulty is the more that we're affected by the fall, and the more we get outside of God's grace, the more tempting it is to overcome our difficulties and try harder and harder and harder for us to earn the achievement to us to do good, to us to be seen right and well in the eyes of others, in the eyes of the church, in the eyes of our coworkers, in the eyes of those in authority at work and at home. And so we just try harder to dig ourselves out of this hole because we're taught that our identity is tied into our achievements and we have to prove to everybody and ourselves that we're good enough. We don't have to do that. The thrill of victory comes to winners, and the agony of feet comes to losers. That's what we're taught. Hey, you're a winner. You're a winner. You're a winner. You're not. And it affects our faith. And we begin to define ourselves without even knowing it sometimes what community or city we live in. We define ourselves by our appearances, by our income, by the cars we drive, by the phones we carry, by the politics that we subscribe to, the awards we collect, and the jobs we hold. And when we begin to go ahead and define ourselves in those ways, in the ways of the world, in the ways outside of God's grace, we inadvertently begin to 
take our character and our morals and our values and we compromise them out of grabbing the gold ring of success so we can just feel worthy. There's something about people-pleasing, I don't know, that came in at the fall. And without realizing it, we're dr- the, um, the drive to achieve begins to infect our faith, begins to affect our intimacy with God, and we cease to give glory to God when the victory is clearly His. When our identity gets caught up in our achievements and then we're on this high, soon the past achievement, that glow begins to fade and begins to go downward. And, and soon that agony and defeat is knocking at the door. Instead of the gold ring of success, we're left with emptiness and shattered dreams and hopelessness. And the cycle goes on and the cycle goes on and the cycle goes on because we find our identity in our achievements and then we get thrown into the agony of defeat. We need to break the cycle. And that means we submit to God all we are and all we have. And we give him the victory because only through Christ can the victory be won. And if we choose not to, we choose to be on that merry-go-round cycle of, of, the, of the achievement and the agony of defeat, the victory and the defeat, the victory and defeat cycle, and that becomes our identity. Soon we're just asking ourselves, what's the point in even trying anymore? What's the point in doing good? I'll just show up to church and I'll read my Bible every now and then and I'll pray and I'll just go through everything and I'll just eke through life. You weren't created to eke. You're created to thrive. You do make a difference. We don't need to ask yourself, what can God do with a person like me? If you are asking yourself that, submit yourself to Christ and He will show you what you are created to do, which is far more than you could ever ask or imagine. You see, the victory truly belongs to the Lord. And, and from this distortion of sin, Satan attacks our lives, and we are tempted to, this, to turn inward to affect our own efforts and our own achievement. And we do so without fully taking seriously the transformational freedom that comes when we surrender to God. And this is why we're using King David as an example. King David didn't. King David ceased his own achievements. He ceased his own efforts. He fully surrendered over to God. And David shows that victory is, is not in his own abilities, that, that sin and Satan do not have the last word. And, and David neither wallows in his defeats and failures, or nor does he take credit for any of the victory. He rides it because he's in intimacy with God. And whatever God wants, David's going to say yes. And David viewed all of his life through that lens, through the relationship with God. How am I, what I'm doing, how is it affecting my relationship with God? Is it drawing closer or is it going away? There's um, an anecdote about Mother Teresa, who I adore. I think she's awesome. And she used to say that her goal was that every human interaction she had, she wanted to leave that person that much closer to God. King David does the same. And the author of 2 Samuel writes that that David praises God when the Lord and not David rescues him from the hands of King Saul and all of his enemies. David does not boast about how awesome he is, how what a righteous king he is. Instead, he turns the focus on God's goodness, his mercy, and his love. And that victory doesn't belong to the king. Victory belongs to the king of kings. 
And the victory belongs to the Lord. And, and in this, it just rejects that individualism that makes us the center of the universe and, and re-puts God as the center of all things, as the focus upon our hearts. And I mentioned it earlier, if, if we're even breathing today, if we're alive today, it's because of God's grace, His mercy, and His love sustaining creation. And God deserves that credit. Not us. I did not make the sun rise and I did not make the sun set. But God does. And He does every single day. And those small miracles of God's movement, because that's what a miracle is. It's when God moves and God sustains us. We need to, to give God credit because that in itself is a victory. And in verse 51, David writes that God holds salvation, shows steadfast love, and does so for all generations, not for a short time, but for eternity. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. God saves and He redeems those failures. He redeems those, those defeats and He turns them into victory and adopts us into His kingdom. That we would have purpose. And it's not by living perfectly that David writes out these songs to God and these praises. David messed up from time to time. But he understood that a life without fully recognizing the fierce, abundant grace of God was a life he did not want to live. David understood fully his surrendered life to God meant that he was to be holy as God is holy. And that's only possible through God's grace that gives David the freedom to sing praises to God, to tell everybody of God's salvation and deliverance and love and mercy the same thing when we are sent out during the week into our lives that we get to tell everybody of God's salvation, God's deliverance, God's love, and God's mercy. David found his identity in God, not in the, what he achieved and how good people thought he was. And our identity in Christ, when we look at the world, we can be easily overwhelmed with problems. Poverty, sickness, war, famine, the loss of income, check engine lights come on, bad grades, poor annual reviews at work, uh, company coming in, layoffs happening. And if you've been watching the news, that was just our local news cycle in this past week. It seems that failure is everywhere. And David reminds us to not look there, but to look to God. That the agony of feet no longer has victory. Sin and Satan no longer have the last word. That, that God through Christ has already won the battle. That we get to find rest in His victory. That David encouraged us to find our identity in God and not in our personal achievement. That we are called to live into the freedom of Christ's victory. And we do that by holding on to God's truce in His word. We, we do that by seeking and meditating on His Spirit by listening, by engaging, by taking serious our relationship with God as much as we take serious our next breath. That through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we do have victory. And that victory cannot be undone no matter how bad life seems. And our identity is, is no longer in our own effort. Instead, it's in Christ and His achievement at the cross and the empty grave. And it's a victory of this achievement is real and it's tangible. And through Jesus, lives are really changed if we're willing to be changed. If we're willing to share our faith. If we're willing to invest in other people. 
And that's one, actually one of the focuses we're going to be talking about is we're really going to be pushing into discipleship in 2024. To see and witness the transformation of God and his victory over people's lives. You know, Phoebe Palmer is one of my favorite theologians. She reminds us of God's salvation. And now that you believe, hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering, for he is faithful that has promised. You are not required to hold fast to the profession of your feelings, but profession of your faith. You are all Lord's now, and it is your privilege, also your duty, to believe. Only in Christ is the victory known. David began as a no-name shepherd. In fact, when, <clears throat> when he was getting anointed as the king, he was still in the field because his dad, he was the youngest, and his dad didn't think that he was supposed to be in the room with his brothers, who were clearly, and his family at least, above him. He became the king of Israel. And David reveals that an intimacy is with God is an active participation in the kingdom of God and the purposes of God through humble service and recognition that all things belong to the Lord, including the victory. Can the worship team come up? So our challenge this week is to praise God each day all year long. And it begins now. And our challenge this week is to praise God each day of this week in areas of your life where God's grace has overcome defeat. So the practical reality of this is every single day, meditate on your life and where God has taken you and overcome a defeat and praise Him all day for that. The next day, praise God for something else. The next day, praise God for something else. Seek God. Meditate on Him. And think how far He has taken you and how much victory God has given you. So instead of looking at the failures and the agony of defeat, we can take a lesson from Bodachah that was not defined by defeat, but looked at defeat as an opportunity for victory and for eternal hope, and that only comes through Christ. You see, God uses ordinary people like, like you, like me, to carry out His purposes. And when we begin to take God's, the impact of God's grace seriously in our lives, that freedom that comes from forgiveness, a hope of eternal life becomes palatable. And we respond not because of guilt. We respond out of a response out of love that's driven by God and our intimacy with Him. And this happens only when we become desperate for the need of His life and grace in our lives to have a freedom that's victorious and redeemed. A life that finds its identity in Christ and a faith in Christ that saves, redeems failures to victories, to adopt us into the kingdom of God. And as Christians, our identity is not to be caught up in our achievement. It's to be caught up in our profession of faith. To live out our belief that Jesus is Lord and Savior of all. For the victory is always in Jesus. So if you'd please stand. Let's sing Victory in Jesus.
Connecting, growing, and serving in our communities. Amen. You are sent.